Well, I'm glad that video wasn't shown right before I had to preach. <laughs> oh, just want to say on behalf of our family, thank you to all of you who have been a part of this journey with us, praying along with us, and um, yeah, it's been a long, a long season that you have walked with us through, and, and we are so grateful for you and for being a part of this. Um, man, what joy children bring, and I love our first Sunday services as well, where we get to have our children with us and worship, and just, Pastor Bob talked about it earlier, the joy that they bring uh, to our gatherings, and, and kids bring so much joy to life, though they can be a little bit disruptive of peace, right? <laughs> and I don't just mean the occasional joyful outburst during a service, or I mean the chaos that accompanies kids often, uh, which anyone who has kids or has been around kids knows because you've experienced it. I remember... <laughs> I remember before kids were a part of our family's story how peaceful mornings used to be. I could sometimes hit the snooze button. <laughs> I could get to the gym without, without hurry or without rush. I could get home and, and I could get a shower and I could eat a, a well-rounded breakfast and pack a meal for the day and spend time in the Word and prayer and, and I'd make it into the office always almost on time or to my first meeting without issue. Now with three children, circumstances of mourning look a little bit different. We have one that's in the middle of a three-week sleep regression, so functioning on little sleep. At times there's been bedwetting. We wake up in the wee hours of the morning. We need to help them getting dressed, prepare breakfast for five, try to have a family devotion while one or all three are talking or screaming. We help with teeth brushing, getting on coats and shoes, and the occasional morning meltdown. If I told you I still have peace in my mornings now, that's quite a different type of peace, isn't it? And many mornings I do, but I'm not perfect, and Ashley will tell you that not every morning is a peaceful morning or that I'm at peace. I'm still praying for peace in the midst of the chaos. For almost a year, you've been hearing about our mission, that we are a church that's uniting with Jesus to restore lives to joy-filled wholeness. We're living out our mission together as we are being spiritually formed, experiencing greater depths of that joy-filled wholeness in our own lives so that we can share it with people around us, people with whom we live, work, play. We say joy-filled wholeness. There we go. When we say joy-filled wholeness. There it is again. <laughs> we don't mean a life that is free of pain or suffering or chaos or tragedy or even persecution. And we have to make that clear because there, uh, to this day, is, is kind of some unhealthy belief in some Christian circles that, that some leaders or some pastors promote that being a follower of Jesus means I will have a life without pain, I will have a life without suffering, I will have a life without conflict, tension, persecution, I will be blessed all the time and everything is going to be roses and cotton candy. Well, anyone can claim to have joy and peace when everything is going their way. Right? I get the promotion... 
My kids are doing well. My car is working. I'm healthy and I can breathe through my nose in the middle of winter. In the words of Pete the cat, the birds are singing, the sky is bright, the sun is shining, and kids and parents say it with me, I'm feeling all right. But it's a whole other type of joy, a whole other type of peace that can claim to be at peace, have peace like a river, joy like a fountain, when I don't get the promotion, when my kids are going through junk and I don't know how to help them, when I'm in a hospital bed and I don't know what the doctor is going to say when they come through the door. The joy-filled wholeness that a relationship with Jesus makes possible is a joy-filled wholeness that doesn't ignore, it doesn't avoid, it doesn't disregard pain, suffering, or persecution. But a joy-filled wholeness that is firm and secure in the midst of the chaos that is life in this world. Don't take my word for it this morning. Let's take Jesus at his word. We're going to be picking up in John chapter 15, beginning in verse 18 this morning. And as you turn there, let me just remind you, we are in the middle of what is known as Jesus' farewell discourse. John chapter 14, uh, 13 through uh, 17, as Jesus is spending his final moments with his disciples. He's imparting final teaching to them. He's preparing them for his departure, for his death. And at this point, they're probably on their way out to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is going to pray. And Jesus says this, picking up in John chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. And that is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Jesus isn't sugarcoating things for his followers. Jesus is preparing them for his departure. And at first glance, Jesus' words may come across as someone who sounds perhaps a little bit paranoid. They hate me, guys. And because they hate me, they're going to hate you too. But there's really no ifs about it. We've talked about who the world is throughout John's gospel, those living in rebellion of God and his ways, those who are outrightly are rejecting Jesus. Jesus here isn't just talking about the surrounding society. He's not just talking about Greek or Roman society. He's talking about God's own people that have been rejecting him. The religious leaders saw Jesus' power to heal, raised from the dead, preach and pray with authority, and they felt threatened by him. Who was it that was really being paranoid? I don't think it was Jesus. People of worldly power have always been paranoid of the power of Jesus, his gospel, and his followers. And Jesus says that it is for this reason that the world has hated him. And no disciple, no follower of Jesus is greater than Jesus, right? So if they persecuted him, which they did, just a couple chapters, you just have to turn the page once or twice, and you see what they did to him. If they persecuted him, then Jesus' disciples and followers need to hear Jesus say, don't be surprised when the world does this to you as well. 
Jesus' first disciples, they all faced persecution, harsh persecution. Some were exiled, some were crucified. Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul, was on the persecuting side, the attacking side of followers of Jesus until he met Jesus on the road to Damascus and then he became the persecuted as he began to proclaim the gospel. In the first 300 years of church history, if you've spent any time studying church history, or even if you just pick up a book or read an article about the early church, the first 300 years of church history were brutal. Were brutal for followers of Jesus. They were living in the Roman Empire. There were evil, evil Roman emperors who found sick pleasure in torturing and terrorizing followers of Jesus, and they encouraged others to do the same. And persecution like that is still real for many followers of Jesus in the world today. There's never been a time in history where people have not been persecuted for the name of Jesus. And it's still happening around the globe. Jesus continues in chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. All this I have told you, Jesus says, so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think that they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. These words in in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 16, they they come on the heels. We didn't see them this morning. We talked about them a couple weeks ago. They come on the heels of the tail end of John chapter 15 where Jesus is explaining that the Holy Spirit is going to come. The Holy Spirit is going to testify about him. And Jesus' followers are supposed to testify about him as well. So Jesus isn't telling his disciples, hey guys, they're going to persecute you as they persecuted me, so lay low. Just hide behind locked doors and wait for me to come back. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying in the power of the Spirit, you're going to go out and you're going to testify. And it's because you're going out and you're testifying in my name that these things are going to happen to you. But I'm preparing you for that so that when those things happen and when you're doing this in my name, you don't fall away. We keep proclaiming and we keep demonstrating the love of Jesus even when the world around us is hostile to who Jesus is. He's plainly telling his followers, this is how it's going to be, so don't be shocked when it happens. We have a map that we shared last week. You can see it again this week. Is we are living out our mission. This is how we're living out our mission collectively as a church. You heard about praying opportunities and how we're leaning into praying in all that we do. We're worshiping, we're connecting, we're growing, we're neighboring. We carry out the mission of Jesus right here in Metro Detroit. And as we're neighboring, and as we are carrying the light of Jesus into dark places in our cities, dark neighborhoods, dark communities in our cities, as we are carrying the light of Jesus into our workplaces where people are still stuck and struggling in darkness, as we are carrying the light of Jesus into our schools, don't be shocked if you're not always received with open arms. If you're not always embraced for being a follower of Jesus. As you demonstrate the good news of Jesus, that is still what we are called to do. Even when we're doing good things, even when we are neighboring well in our community, there will be people who take issue Just as when Jesus was demonstrating the power and the good news of his gospel, Jesus was healing people of sickness, people who had been going to doctors for decades. And Jesus was healing them. Jesus was raising people from the dead. Jesus was hanging out with people 
who didn't even believe that there was good news in this life for them. And he was persecuted for it. Even when he was doing amazing, wonderful things, demonstrating the power and the love of God. Jesus is preparing his followers, which extends to us today, to understand that following him doesn't mean a cushy, comfortable life. Sometimes the suffering we face in life is persecution that comes from living out Jesus' mission in this world. And there are places where that is a very real and a daily threat for followers of Jesus today. We're not there at this time in our land. Not to the extent that our brothers, down, brothers and sisters through history and to this day are still suffering. So if you're like, well, I'm not, you know, I am living out and I am demonstrating the love of Jesus in the world around me, but I'm not really experiencing persecution for it, that doesn't mean you can tune out today, okay? Don't tune out. Sometimes the suffering we face in this life, though, is persecution. Because we are living as faithful witnesses of Jesus, we won't always be liked. For the people pleasers out there among us, extra prayers for us. But even if that's not your present experience, there's also pain in life that we deal, th deal with in this world that is different from physical persecution. Pain that is a part of life as a result of the brokenness of the world in which we live. So even if you're not currently experiencing persecution for your faith, there's other pain and suffering that you may be dealing with. Chances are you or someone you love and care about has been, are currently, or will in the very near future be experiencing a season of pain, of suffering. And you also need to know that in the midst of those, there's peace and joy that Jesus makes possible. Even in those seasons, even in the difficult seasons, perhaps you've, perhaps you've heard the story of Horatio and Anna Spafford. Horatio Spafford and his wife Anna, they lived in Chicago. They were active in their church. They were friends of Dwight L. Moody, pretty famous, pretty famous guy. Dwight L. Moody was a world-famous evangelist. They were blessed with five children. They had significant wealth. Horatio was a lawyer. They owned lots of rental properties across the Chicagoland area. Their lives looked pretty good. Their lives began to take a significant turbulent hit in the year of 1870 when their four-year-old son died suddenly of scarlet fever. Four years old. A year later, in 1871, if you're a history buff, you may know what happened in Chicago in the year of 1871. Anybody want to take a guess? The fire, that's right. The great Chicago fire. And it destroyed many of the properties that they owned. And they took significant financial hit. And in the midst of doing that, you know what they did? They tried to find ways to provide housing and to care for the people who lived in the places that they were renting to because they had now become homeless. Fast forward two more years to 1873. Horatio and Anna, they decided their family needed a vacation. They had been through a lot. They needed a time of rest and recuperation, and they had planned a trip to England. Dwight L. Moody was going to be preaching around England in the summer, so they were going to spend some time vacationing and then spend some time as he was preaching, the, uh, as Dwight L. Moody was preaching the gospel in England. 
But Horatio needed to stay back a few days to tie up some loose ends at work, so he sent his family, his wife, and, and their four remaining kids on ahead of him on a ship to England. On November 22nd, the ship that they were on, that his wife and four daughters were on, struck, was struck by another vessel. And it sank three miles to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean in just 12 minutes. Anna, his wife, was among those that were rescued, but all four of their children, remaining children, perished at sea. Horatio set off for England immediately. His wife was in the hospital, and he needed to be there as quickly as he could be. During his journey to England, the captain of the ship that he was on summoned him to the bridge and had the charts out on, in front of them and explained to Horatio as they were passing over a particular point that this was the place where the ship went down, where his four remaining children perished. Imagine what that was like. Horatio returned to his cabin where he wrote the words, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. Those words have meaning. Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, even so it is well with my soul. This morning's a little bit of a different morning. The message is actually broken up into two parts. And at this time, I'm going to ask the worship team to come. They're going to lead us in singing that song, It Is Well With My Soul, a song that Horatio Spafford wrote. And as we sing, maybe you are in a season right now where you have come through something. And, and God, is, God has proven to be good in the midst of that, and you've experienced peace. And you've experienced joy in the midst of suffering and pain. And maybe you want to stand and raise your hands and say, yes, this has been true for me. Maybe you're experiencing right now some kind of persecution. As you're sharing Jesus, or maybe it's just a spiritual resistance. Maybe it's a wall as you're trying to get through to a child or to a neighbor or to a coworker, And you just need to pray through that. Pray through that obstacle. The Spirit would bring that obstacle down. And you're saying, even as I'm not experiencing that breakthrough, even as maybe I'm experiencing persecution in some form, as I'm stuck in the midst of that, I'm going to say, I'm going to lean into the truth of these words, that I know Jesus makes a peace and a joy possible even in the midst of that. Maybe you were in a place of uncertainty this morning regarding health or finances or the heaviness of life maybe you or someone you care deeply about is struggling with addictions and the weight you're carrying is heavy it's heavy one of the beautiful things about the church the body of Christ isn't just when we're all together all generations together but as we're in different postures this morning as we sing this song, maybe you're kneeling at the altar, maybe you're praying where you're at, maybe you're weeping, maybe you're standing in joy. It's one of the beautiful blessings of the body of Christ is that we need one another. If we're in a place where we are weeping and we're kneeling at 
the foot of the cross and we're confessing how much we need Jesus, we need our brothers and sisters who have come through something and they can affirm, yes, Jesus is with you even in this, even when you don't feel it, he's with you. And for those of us who have gone through something, we're remembering the fact today that, hey, we're not alone, we're not isolated, we're not solitary Christians, we belong to the family of God, and there's somebody who needs to hear what Jesus has done in my life, needs to see that I've come through something and Jesus has been good. So wherever you are this morning, we just invite you to sing, to worship, to pray, as we sing together and as well with my soul.
Jesus, we thank you that we can sing these words this morning. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you are with us in whatever we are going through, whatever struggles or pain we are facing. Thank you this morning, Jesus, for the victory that you make possible through your death and your resurrection that we're about to hear more about. Continue to be close to us, Jesus, as we continue in your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. You heard it in the words of Horatio Spafford's song. We haven't talked about it yet. But how is this peace and how is this joy possible? in the midst of whatever we may be going through. John chapter 16, verse 16. Jesus went on to say, in a little while you will see me no more. And then after a little while you will see me. The disciples are human. They would have begun a process of grieving, even as Jesus was still with them, but as he was telling them that his time was short. And they would have been confused by Jesus saying these words, in a little while you will see me no more, and then in a little while you will see me. Jesus is not talking about a game of hide and seek here in the Garden of Gethsemane. What do you think he's talking about? You can shout it out. What do you think Jesus is talking about? His death and resurrection? Here's how Jesus further explains himself. He says, very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I tell you, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one, no one will take away your joy. The disciples weeping and mourning while the world rejoices is a clear indicator. You guys are right. Jesus is talking about his death and his resurrection. While the world is rejoicing, they think they've put an end to a heretic, blasphemer, false prophet, and his crucifixion. The disciples are scattered and grieving. Do you see the incredible promise that Jesus makes here? You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Again, what is he talking about here? He's talking about his resurrection. That's the whole point of this imagery of a woman's pain in childbirth. 
I have not experienced that. <laughs> but I know many of you have. My sister just did this week. She gave birth again. There's pain and there's anguish in the birthing process, but it, it makes new life possible. And when that new life is reality, even the lasting pain of recovery is eclipsed by the joy of the new life that has been birthed. The disciples will experience deep pain and anguish as Jesus is arrested, as he is tried, as he is convicted, and as he is crucified. But on Easter Sunday morning, as Jesus emerges from the tomb, raised to new life, he will make a new reality, a new life, a new joy, a new peace possible for his disciples and for all who would follow after them. Listen to the words of Jesus when he sees them again in John chapter 20, verses 19 through 20. He says, on the, this says, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders... Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side and the disciples were overjoyed, overjoyed, overflowing with joy when they saw the Lord. Like the first disciples who encountered the resurrected Jesus behind locked doors, our joy is rooted in the victory of Jesus. That's what makes Christian joy different than the joy of this world. It is rooted in the victory of Jesus, not the circumstances of our life or the world around us. Jesus' victory is the source of joy and peace. This is why the Apostle Paul is able to say in Philippians 1.21, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He knows he has work to do in the midst of this world, but someday he will be with Jesus. Like Paul, you and I today, we see... We see Jesus' words from a different vantage point. The disciples who were gathered with him after this last supper with them and, and as they were walking to the Garden of Gethsemane, they were not seeing things. They didn't understand fully what Jesus was talking about. They didn't understand that he was going to die. And they didn't understand that when he died, it wasn't all over. They didn't understand that yet at this point. We see all of this from a different vantage point. We live on this side of the resurrection. We live in the victory of Jesus, which is why joy and peace is possible for us. Even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of suffering in this world. Because of this, Jesus encourages us to be courageous. In John 16, we have the final words of Jesus to his disciples before his death, as recorded in John's gospel. And while Jesus, Jesus' focus in verses 20 through 22 he was referring specifically to his death and resurrection. Verse 33 seems to have an ongoing resonance to it. I've told you these things so that in me you may have, say it with me, peace. In this world you will have what? Trouble. Trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus doesn't sugarcoat things. He doesn't make false promises. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't mean that you, becoming a follower of Jesus, doesn't mean you suddenly experience a life free of pain or suffering or trials. Clearly, he says, in this world you will have trouble. And in the very same breath, Jesus promises trouble. Jesus also promises his peace. The key to our ongoing growth is 
We talked a couple of weeks ago about remaining in the vine and allowing the, the vine life of Jesus to become more and more about who we are. It's discovering Jesus' peace and joy when we're engulfed by threatening circumstances. Whether that be someone being hostile to you and your faith or struggles with health or finances or things you or your family are going through. We may even at times doubt. And I just say doubt is not a sin. Okay? It doesn't mean we lack faith if we doubt at times. But we need to hear the second half of what Jesus says in verse 33. But take heart. Take courage. I have overcome the world. Take heart or take courage is, a, is the same instruction that, that Jesus gave to his disciples when they were out on a boat. Another boat. Yeah, see the connection? They're out on another boat in the midst of some turbulent waters, and Jesus comes walking to them on the water. And Jesus says, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Even when everything around them which should lead them to fear. Where is your peace today? Where is your joy? Where is your source of courage? Is it in something that you've accomplished? Something you've done? Is it in circumstances around you? I've made a pretty good life for myself. Things are pretty comfortable. Is it in following Jesus' example? Notice... Notice that Jesus doesn't say here, doesn't say, I have overcome the world so you can too. He doesn't say that. He's not saying you have to do what I've done. He's saying, take heart, I have overcome the world and you can share in that victory with me. The truth that we get to share is Jesus' victory over death. Jesus' victory extends to us and that is good news. As Jesus tells us, this is the words of an author, have courage, Jesus says. I have faced your enemy, and I have vanquished him. I have fought your battle on the battleground of human experience where you must fight. I have routed the foe. You can never do it, but I have done it, and I can do it again in you. Abide in me, and my victory is yours. Anyone can say they have peace, they have joy, they have courage when life is going well. But Jesus' promises for a much deeper peace, a much deeper joy, even when life around us is full of chaos. Twice in the passages we've been looking at this morning, Jesus says, I have, I have told you these things for a reason, so that, twice Jesus says that, as he's warning his followers about suffering and persecution. He's done this for two reasons. The first, so that they won't fall away when it happens. So that you're prepared, so that you and I are prepared. When even as we're following Jesus, and even as we're leaning into Jesus, and even as we're connected to the vine, when, when storms hit, and we take hits, we won't fall away. Second, so that we may have peace in him. He says that in verse 33. Following Jesus doesn't mean we escape suffering or pain or persecution in this world, but following Jesus means that we can live in his victory here and now in a way that brings true peace, complete joy, and great courage. 
How does that happen? Friends, I don't have three steps to share with you today. <laughs> I don't. Not three easy steps for you to start experiencing this. But if you really want to know how, I can point you to several people who are here in attendance today. People who could be preaching this message better than I am today. Because of what they have been through, what they're going through, and how they're leaning into Jesus in the midst of it. Great struggles. Cancer diagnoses. Death of children. Loved ones battling addictions. Some of them have shared their stories publicly on our podcast. This morning, we're going to gather around the table of communion. And we're going to remember... We're going to remember Christ's death and resurrection as we do so. We're going to remember the victory that Jesus makes possible for us. That we can live into that victory and experience his joy and his peace and live with courage in the here and now. Something also happens when we come to the table of communion. We're looking ahead to a great heavenly banquet. To a day when Jesus returns and wipes away every tear from every eye. So this morning, we are going to celebrate. We're going to be encouraged. We're going to be nourished at the table. Pastor Jason, would you lead us in this time of preparing for communion? <laughs> 